Thank you for joining us today. I'm Andrew Mitchell. I'm Sean Salitro. And this is The Stewardship Project. Where we are on a journey to discover how we can best care for all the time, relationships, and resources that we have been given. something we view with a stewardship lens. But when we look at the origin of it and the role it plays in our lives, how can we not look at it from that perspective? This week, Sean and I have the pleasure of speaking with Jeff and Shanti Feldhan. Jeff and Shanti bring their knowledge from several books they have written and the surveys and focus group data that accompanied those works. I'm sure you'll enjoy their practical knowledge and some great stories from their own marriage. Well, Jeff and Shanti, thank you so much for joining us today. If I can ask, you guys have written several books uh, together separately about uh, marriage uh, and relationship dynamics. At what point in your marriage did you guys say, we really need to write some of this stuff down and talk to people about this stuff? Like, never? Never. (laughs) That actually never happened. It didn't. (laughs) We honestly we're just like any other couple out there kind of bumping along. It, it wasn't, Stumbling. A, it Stumbling. wasn't a, it wasn't a bad marriage by any stretch of the imagination. It was good. We enjoyed each other's company, but I would not have said, Oh, this is a great marriage. This is a template for what a lot of folks need to do. They need to listen <laughs> to us because, <clears throat> you know, truth be known, there were nights when one of us, slept in the guest room hmm. because we were just flipping upset with each other over it with the other yeah i mean that just happened yeah. the way this whole thing started was just so different because we're not counselors we're not therapists you know we're not those people who are like oh yeah right like what jeff said this is this this happened in a completely different way I actually, a God way. I a mean, God it really way. was. Yeah, mm. I, I actually, um, this whole thing started because I was actually writing a novel, um, sort of a long story, but one of the main characters in the novel that I was writing was a man. And I realized I didn't know how to put thoughts in his head. Like I had to say what he was thinking because like he was my main character, but I had no idea what a dude would be thinking. And so I started asking Jeff or other men, you know, we'd be out to dinner with another couple, you know, and I asked the other husband, I'd say, okay, here's this scene in the book. What would you be thinking if this was you? Hmm. And as they started telling me, I was just, I found myself like, what? Like shocked by some of the things I was hearing. And I started realizing it was really important. And that ended up long story, but that ended up becoming the book for women only Hmm. about understanding men. And it launched us into this, what ended up becoming a lot of marriage research, a lot of individual research. We did not start out. Well, (laughs) let me, let me go even a little bit deeper on that. As Shanti's asking these questions to these guys and they're saying, you know, they're, they're giving their answers, which are consistent with how I was feeling and their wives were equally surprised just as Shanti was. Hmm. And me and the other guys were surprised <laughs> that our wives didn't know this stuff already. See, I thought Shanti understood me. Hmm. I thought she knew when she said something that made me crazy, 
she was doing it on purpose. Hmm. She knew otherwise. And yet what was really happening was there was just a lack of knowledge. And then we started to go, gosh, if there's a lack of knowledge on their side, there's more likely <laughs> that there's a lack of knowledge on no. us guys' side. It, it, it really, really was. So that's how it started. It, it ended up launching us into the space of trying to help people thrive in their lives, in their relationships. But as you can tell, we were guinea pigs number one. Mm. We were not the experts. No, that's awesome. That's great. I feel like that kind of leads us right into our our next question too. And I, I actually have for men only sitting on my desk here as we're talking, because uh, I've had the <laughs> privilege of reading both of those books and they're just great resources. But I'd be curious to hear, you know, straight from you guys, as you've done your studies and you've had interactions with other couples and even yourselves, what are a couple of key things that you found that make a really good marriage? Well, to be candid for us, what we okay so this is what we've seen in the research and it was certainly true for us mm. um which is and this is going to sound a little odd but one of the biggest keys is that you have to actually learn each other mm. and you have to actually learn that underneath the surface stuff because that's the real stuff i whenever i do women's conferences and talk about this with women where you know they want me to come in and say okay how do we understand the man that we're married to or dating or work with or whatever. I always say it is really easy to respond to the outer guy, mm -hmm. the outer man. That's not really him, right? Like that's not his, what's really going on. You have to respond to the inner man and the same thing on the guy's side, but because we're different sometimes now it's not in a hundred percent of cases, but we found statistically it was about 75, 80% of the case of, of relationships sort of match this pattern where there's some of these differences. You, if you don't know that just because they're different than you are, you, you aren't hitting the real person. Mm. And so what we always say is, I mean, it's super simple. It's, it sounds trite and it changes everything. You usually don't have big ticket issues that are causing most of the problems. Those happen. Mm -hmm. Somebody's addicted to something. Somebody was abused as a child and it's impacting them. Those happen, but that's not causing the majority of problems. Mm -hmm. Most of the time you have goodwilled husbands and wives who care for each other. The husband and wife really care, both people, and they're both trying really hard but because they don't know these things, they're trying hard in kind of the wrong areas mm -hmm. and they're missing each other. Or can I, can I keep mm -hmm. going for two seconds? Or they're trying really hard and they're actually hurting each other's feelings. Mm. Yeah. And you would never want that. But we found that once people know this stuff and they learn that inner stuff, they're suddenly trying hard in the right areas. It just, it just yeah. changes and, a lot. And the thing is, it's not rocket science. It really isn't. But here's the, here's the issue that I have. And I'm going to sound, please, if you're a counselor, therapist, hats off to you. <laughs> you guys do such amazing work. However, what I often hear from therapists, and they'll say, you know, if you can just talk about things mm. together, you'll solve, you'll solve most of your problems. I get that. And I see the value in that. And it statistically is true. Right. We've seen in the studies. However, talking about something um, implies a certain level of understanding mm. that I can talk intelligently on. 
And quite frankly, as a guy, I didn't even know how to describe what was going on inside of me. Mm. I knew I was upset when Shanti would say something <laughs> or do something, but I'm all stirred up inside and I don't have the actual words to describe it so that she can understand and we cannot do that the next time and or whatever. It, and it's not just guys though. I yeah. mean, like when we did the research for Ferment Only, the book that you mentioned, mm -hmm. Andrew, um, when we were doing all the focus groups and all the stuff before we did the big, because these are all based on big nationally representative surveys in order to kind of quantify mm -hmm. how many people this applies to. But when we were doing all the focus groups up front, and I was listening to women process certain things and try to get at that underneath the surface thing, I realized I was exactly the same way. Hmm. Like, oh my gosh, I could never have said it that way to Jeff. And so that to me is the, when you're talking about the keys to a good marriage, it, I think it just starts with recognizing the other person cares about you deeply. Mm. And if they're hurting your feelings, it's probably just that they don't know some of this internal stuff and you don't know theirs. Well, actually, building off of that, um, one of the research studies that I loved, which was the uh, survey that we did of the high, the happiest couples, mm. what is it that they're doing differently that from the rest fun. of us mere mortals that makes <laughs> them so happy? And a lot of them couldn't articulate it, but over time we were able to dig out what these common things were. And the number one thing that they all had, and we'd even say- It's a prerequisite. It's a prerequisite yeah. to a happy marriage. It is that you believe the best about mm. your spouse's mm. intentions, mm. even when you've been legitimately hurt. Mm. And so how that look, what that looks like is I'm sitting there and I'm going, dang, that's that stung when Shanti said that, maybe in front of friends or whatever it was. In my mind, I have to go, but you know what? I know she loves me and I know she appreciates, appreciates me, respects, all of those things. If she knew how that was going to make me feel, she wouldn't have said it. Mm. It's believing the best of her intentions instead of what I used to do was, <laughs> dang, that hurts. She knows how that makes me feel. I'm going to zing her back as soon as I get a chance. Yeah. Mm. So I guess along with that, I mean, th those are some of the things that you guys have found through your research and through your own experience and years of marriage that have really helped you find the keys to a good marriage. But when you guys were first married from your own experience, can you speak to some of the things that you felt that you just, things that were, you ended up being myths or that weren't really true about marriage? <laughs> myths. <laughs> many, many myths about marriage. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, one, okay, this is a simplistic one. Um, but one of the things that we all, I think, subconsciously have down deep is that if there's an issue with such and such, if I don't like the way that he handles something, that's okay, he'll change, right? Like, that's okay, you know, we can work on that. And we can work on that. Mm -hmm. And it's a two-way street and there's, you know, a hope for adjusting things. However, the idea that that will happen is dangerous. And it makes us focus on the other person, what they're doing, what they're not doing, mm. what they should be doing. Mm. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to fix them. And all of that is understandable. Um, but there's this, you know, that kind of 
stereotypical semi-trite statement. You can't change somebody else. You can only change yourself. And so that getting that through your mind and like, okay, so my job as a wife is to focus on me. Hmm. Like that really radically changes the dynamic. And for the husband to say, okay, my job is to focus on what I need to be doing and what I need to be understanding, what I need to be learning. It just, it, it adjusts our expectations. And I'm going to go with one that we actually, in that happy couples research that we did, which I love, which it, is... You love this one, but this is not the top It, it is just, not the top, it's but it's a, a fun funny, one. It's a funny one. <laughs> so here's the one that most people will get when they're talking to older married couples, you know, mentors, etc. Premarital counseling, when they say, you know, what's the one thing that you did practice? Most of them will say, you know, it's important never to go to bed mad. And we'll go, when we were doing the research, we'd go, okay, but do you ever go to bed mad? Mm. Well, it's a good principle <laughs> in that everyone should always try to, do you? And they would ultimately come around to, well, yeah. And it's built on the, the belief, it's built on that uh, passage in, I think it's Ephesians 4.26 that says, mm -hmm. you know, be angry, sin not, and let not the sun go down on your wrath, the King James Version. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is, in, in our marriage with that, Shanti used to wear me out at 10 o'clock at night. Or midnight. And go, we have to settle this now. And mm. quite frankly, bad outcomes resulted from that. I ended up saying something that I regretted, she regretted, um, because I was just tired and upset and angry. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, when we started doing the research on this, and a pastor, wise pastor came and said, you know that particular passage, that's not even relating to marriage in particularly. And let's look at what Paul was referencing. He references Psalm 4.4. Mm -hmm. And 4.4, Psalm 4.4, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it says, be angry and sin not, Think about it overnight and remain silent. Hmm. <laughs> so what has happened is we've taken this common folk wisdom, applied it overneath the, the Bible, and made a kind of a doctrine of it that unless we do these things, we're not going to have a happy marriage. Hmm. We're not going to have God's favor in our lives. Hmm. And so you need to go in deeper into that. Now, there's wisdom in that idea of settling accounts before you go to bed so that they're not, your heart's not hardened in the morning, all of those things. But to say that this has to be done mm -hmm. or you're somehow outside of God's perfect plan for your marriage, there's a lot of things that we should be questioning, not of scripture, but of where do we have these kind of ideas emanating right. from. Huh. Huh. And I, you might, I might've missed if you said it, but I mean, what we found yeah. what was ab about what the happiest couples actually did. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Instead of trying to duke it out at one in the morning when you're going to say something you regret mm -hmm. <laughs> or <laughs> agree to something you wish you hadn't agreed to or whatever and resent it, the happiest couples actually, they would often push the pause button and say, let's pick this up in the morning. Mm. Get a good night's sleep. Get a good sleep. night's sleep. Mm -hmm. and, and half the time, you guys know, I mean, half the time in the morning, you're like, what was that about? Like, <laughs> oh, sure. the sleep yeah. solved it. Yeah. Um, but if it didn't, we were very, we were really intrigued to see that if that issue was still there and causing some emotions in the morning, the happiest couples dealt with it 
they didn't let it sort of float away. Everybody else, even people in pretty good marriages, were much more inclined to just sort of ignore, let it go away and hope it didn't come up again. The happiest couples didn't do that. They dealt with it. And that to me is like a really key principle for a happy marriage, which is that you can't just ignore these things. Yeah. But yeah, get a good night's sleep first. <laughs> that's great. I think that's important. One of the books I was reading recently, a marriage book was The, the Second Happy. Hmm. And in there's a chapter in there about fighting fair. And it was really, it's one thing that's been really revolutionary just for my thinking. And I haven't really talked to my wife about it yet, but I will. <laughs> but it's more about this perspective of like, consider the other person um, where their heart is at and, you know, recognize yeah. the, like you said about the, the good in them. Like they already want best for you already, you know, so don't look at it yeah. that way. But also um, they did talk about that verse a little bit, how it's like, you, you, you can allow your spouse to sleep so that they can have time to sit on this. You don't have to say like, no, we're going to be unfair about this. I'm going to keep you awake <laughs> and tire you out, you know, in, until you see my side of this. Um, yep. So, yeah, yep. I think it's awesome. So, Jeff, you already started bringing some scripture into the conversation, and we always appreciate that. I'd be curious if either of you have other scriptures that you'd point people to to just have a better understanding of what a God-honoring marriage looks like. Okay, I will, uh, I will jump in quickly with, with mine. My favorite verse in all of Scripture is Psalm 103.2, which is, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Mm. We're encouraged to remember the good things that God has done for us. And oftentimes when we're in a struggling state, we need to remind ourselves about how faithful God has been. Mm. And I tend to have a checklist and I, for my gratitude, and I go down through it. And what I realized was I don't oftentimes do that for Shanti. Mm -hmm. So that has been something that I have purposefully, a habit that I've built in my life. So when we're kind of at odds, at odds or <laughs> not, but I will run through and I will think of those things that I am so thankful for in her that I kind of take for granted and I don't necessarily tell her audibly <laughs> you know that I so appreciate these things I just kind of think she knows it so I remind myself of how fortunate I am to be married to her mm. and the things that she does day after day after day that has given me a marriage and a life that I'm so grateful for so that's me the i guess and and by the way just so you all know that when we did the study with the highly happy couples um, that was actually a practice hmm. that was more likely to be with the happiest couples than anybody else was was sort of keeping these things in mind and like when they were annoyed we tend to think that our feelings just are what they are that's another myth you know, you can change your actions, you can't change your feelings. And it turns out, no, it's not true. Hmm. But the way that God has wired our brains is that when you focus on these things and you, you're, you're actually changing your feelings about the other person, sort of the, the neuroscience principle is what you focus on is what you'll see as well. Um, so you'll see more of it to be grateful for too. Um, but for me, scripturally, you know, there's an a amazing little verse in Proverbs 24 um, that we've heard before, and I tend to see it because of what we do. I tend to see it in a different way. 
Um, Proverbs 34 verses 3 and 4, I think. Proverbs 24. 24, what did I say? 24, sorry. Proverbs 24 verses 3 and 4. It, it says, by wisdom a house is built, through understanding it's established, and through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and precious, precious treasures. And we don't sort of recognize what that's actually saying, but we're giving this word picture of kind of building the foundation and framing up the house. Like you've built the house mm -hmm. by wisdom, the house is built through understanding it's established, but what's in the house, right? Like, is it discord? Is it arguments? Is it frustration, you know, around every corner? Or is it joy? Is it delight? Is it peace and kindness? And it says through knowledge, its rooms are filled with those rare and precious treasures. Mm. And that's what we're talking about here is just these little things that you just didn't know mattered to your spouse. And once you know it, again, it's not rocket science. It's just simple stuff. It changes what you do. Now, I will say that knowledge is absolutely important, but we do have sinful hearts. And the fact that I yep. simply know the knowledge, know what Shanti needs, doesn't necessarily mean that I'm willing to give it mm. when I'm torqued. You know, it's just because I, I actually can withhold it and increase her discomfort yeah. we, because we, I know what to do and I'm going to refuse to do it. Can I give them a, an example? Would sure. that be okay oh, with you? Okay. <laughs> you and, yeah. and thousands of your closest friends? Okay, yeah. <laughs> We're ready for it. Like, he, well, you've said this from stage, so I'm okay. not telling tales out of, out of school. But like, for example, one of the things that we found in Ferment Only uh, which is the research project with women, the stuff that men often don't know about their wives, is that like often when we're upset with each other, the a lot of guys feel like kind of the important thing to do, the honorable thing to do is to withdraw. And like, it's what you do with another guy, right? Like you give each other space to get your head straight, whatever. And what we found is that for a lot of women, they don't need space, they need a hug. And that can be scary, like moving toward an angry wife, like you, you'll see her melt when you do, assuming that this matters to her, which again, not going to be hundred percent, but I can sometimes, there have been times where, you know, Jeff has said, we're having an argument and he's looking at me. He can tell that I need a hug. He's like, I'm going down to my office, <laughs> you know, yep. and he yep. has to make a decision. You and do. for me if there's something that I'm upset by and I, I have a tone or, and I'm exasperated and I have to decide, like, am I going to let this exasperated tone, which is shredding him to pieces, keep going? Cause I kind of don't care, care that it's shredding him to pieces because I'm mad. Or am I going to stop and I'm going to say, okay, I know how this is hitting him. And instead, I have to recognize this is an example of he cares about me and that just touched a nerve. Mm -hmm. And I have to not touch a nerve back. So it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I call that hugging the cactus in my house. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
go. He doesn't say that out loud. He just, in his own head, calls it hugging. Wise <laughs> man. That's another principle. Yeah. We of actually, happiest couples. You, you actually will love this, Andrew. We were doing a marriage conference because we do these marriage events, right, all over the country. We're doing this at a, a large church in California. And Jeff said something like from the stage, she, she sometimes she doesn't need space. She needs a hug. And a guy yelled out from the audience, you mean hug the porcupine? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know if his wife was sitting there beside him. <laughs> Not for long. And, and everybody laughed. But then the women in the room all yelled, yes, and started clapping. Wow. And you could see the guys like, what? And, you know, that's an example of it can feel so like not foreign. It yeah. can feel so foreign, but it's because this other person is just different than we are. Yeah. You want space. That's easier for you. It's what you naturally feel the need to do. And yet knowing that that actually, when you pull away, it makes her angst worse. Mm. And knowing that and then deciding okay, I'm, if, if she has confirmed at another time that she is that type, she needs the hug, okay, I'll, I will hug the cactus <laughs> <laughs> and to try to reconcile. So, so on our specific podcast here, we, we talk about the topic of stewardship with pretty much every area of life. Yep. How would you guys recommend someone listening to this for the first time or hearing about these things, how would they apply a stewardship mentality to their marriage? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think for for me, and I'm sure for you, when you're talking about stewardship, it's stewarding something that's been given to you by God mm -hmm. yeah. to manage, yeah. right? To handle. Yeah. And our marriage comes into that category, right? My my relationship with Jeff comes into that category. Your relationship with your spouse is a gift from God. And so being purposeful about it in the same way that you would be purposeful if the master handed the talents to the to the servants and said, you know, here, handle this money for me. I'm going away. I'll come back. I want to see sort of how you've managed it. And we take that same approach to marriage. View our spouse as a gift, even in times and seasons when things can be hard. Mm. That is one way to do what we talked about earlier which is that, hey, it's about what what can I do differently? Not what can they do differently? What can I do differently? Mm. No, I, I, I fully agree with that. I, I think back on times, Shanti and I are very different in a lot of areas. And, uh, you know, one is uh, um, physical space and orientation. Shanti is the most gifted and talented and spatially, as far as organizationally, um, Mentally, mentally, but not spatially, but not spatially. And I tend to be more of the kind of, I like things neat mm -hmm. and in order. And, you know, that was an adjustment. We're just both different mm -hmm. in that. Yeah. And, uh, when our kids were little, you know, and I'd come home from a, a day of meetings and there'd be dishes all through the sink and like you know, laundry to be done and, you know, all of these sorts of things. Not that those were all her jobs. They were all ours, but you know, I would feel kind of like, dang, and get exasperated and feel myself spiraling down until, you know, God kind of got a hold of me and said, you know, when you were single, you had a perfectly ordered 
you know, apartment and room and life, and you were all alone. Mm. Those toys there, those are evidence that you've got a couple of great little kids. That those dishes over there or that whatever coffee cup sitting on the, you know, table, that's evidence that Shanti's in your life. Mm. And she likes you. And it's that stewardship of again thinking on those things that are lovely and true and honorable, all of those things, remembering and reminding yourself of that. Yeah, that's awesome. good. So to kind of take a little bit of a different look at marriage, um, obviously most people, when they think of biblical stewardship, they kind of jump right to the idea of money or finances. And, you know, you guys yeah. just happen to write a book about that. And, you know, there's a lot of tension that comes from that in marriages and in relationships just in general. Um, so you guys have written about five key factors that impact couples and money. Would you mind explaining what you mean when you wrote the part of the issue that we have different values around money? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The Basically, the premise, if I could just back up one step sure. and now mm -hmm. tackle the different values. But the basic premise of, um, of the research and everything that we were trying to uncover mm -hmm was not how do you have a great budget, but how do you have a great relationship yeah. around money, right? So you won't find anything about budgeting or getting out of debt in the book. And you, you really don't want us talking <laughs> yeah. to that part of your life. I promise there are truly, other people truly, that are better at that way, than we are. Way, way better. But it was interesting, the sort of the summary of everything, the five things that we found, the, the whole kind of, summary of the the book is that when you're having tension around money it's not about the money mm. it turns out it's about how money makes you feel mm. and how it makes your spouse feel and it's about all these expectations and insecurities and beliefs about how money should work and all these other things that are running under the surface we don't even know half of those are there but that's what's really impacting our relationship as we try to go through life. And, and they feel so natural to each of us. They're different from our spouse or this other person, but, but they feels. feel they feel like a natural law, like gravity. Mm -hmm. This is just the way it, it is. It is, but the other person has a different, this is just the way it is. And so what you mentioned is one of the five factors that we found is that so often we're just not valuing what the other person is valuing. Mm. And, and we, and here's the crazy part of this. Like, I know that my spouse is a different human being. Like I know that with my head. And so therefore I should know that, oh, they will care about something different than I will. And yet it doesn't translate into the next step, which is, and what they care about is totally legitimate. It's just as legit as what I care about. I mean, unless it's something objectively wrong, like a gambling addiction or whatever. Um, but if can I give you an example of what I mean by like different value oh, yeah. differences? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like one of the most foundational values differences is that there are some people who are more inclined towards saving and some people who are more comfortable spending money and even in a marriage where you have two savers there's usually one person that's more comfortable and the myth that it's usually the men are more the savers mm -hmm. and the women are the spenders did not 
it was, it was almost 50-50 on both sides. Yeah. Um, and these, again, these were nationally representative surveys, so we're really comfortable with the, the data. Um, but the, you know, this idea that some people just value saving and that kind of sense of security that comes along with it, there's stuff that's going on under the surface. And other people value being able to spend money and being more, a little more flexible. And I, and here's the thing, and this is, if I can, <laughs> can I step on the toes of some of your audience? Sure, members? why not? Oh, of course. Because <laughs> <Step on. laughs> <laughs> here's, here's really the thing. Anybody who listens to your podcast, you have a podcast on stewardship. I can guarantee you that if I were to survey your audience, the vast majority of the people who listen to your show are the saver types. Yes. The planner types. Yes. The people who view money as working this one way, right? And I can also guarantee that if you were to do a call-in podcast, which isn't a thing, <laughs> but if you, if, you, if you had a radio program that was a call-in, you would hear the same thing that we have heard now from dozens and dozens of radio hosts who have call-in money shows. They say the number one question they get is, how do I get my spouse on board? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can I get my spouse on the same page? And they don't realize that what they're saying is, how can I get my spouse to agree that I am right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's because they think they are. Like, it's just gravity. Like, this is just the way it works. You save a certain percentage and you handle retirement planning in a certain way and there are wise wise absolutely. reasons for all absolutely. of that and and yet one of the things that is really important is if you do want to be on the same page with your spouse if you do want to have a great relationship around money it's really crucial for both people to be able to look at what the other person values and go i might disagree with this like this may not be the way i would handle things but their viewpoint is just as legitimate mm -hmm. as mine and that is uncomfortable for often for the saver types to like go oh wow okay um and this for like for me and jeff where we are, where Jeff is more the saver, the planner, I'm more comfortable with spending money um, and not crazy, you know, but she's not, but just more comfortable sure. with it. And, um, and so, and it's interesting in our example to watch how that plays out where um, I am, again, remember the principle, it's not about the money, right? It's about what, what I am buying with that money. Like, for example, hey, bud, I've been in meetings all day and, you know, the kids and we've been running around. I'm just going to pick up Chinese food on the way home for dinner. And when he goes, oh, you know, I've got some chicken in the fridge from Costco. Why don't I just grill that? <laughs> that bugs me. And why does it bug me? Again, it's not about the money. And why does it bug him that I would call and ask about bringing home Chinese food? underneath the surface you've got to figure out what it is that you're valuing underneath that what i'm valuing is we've been going in a bazillion different directions we haven't the kids haven't had any time if we grill the chicken it's going to be prep and 
cleanup and then we're mm. gonna have to start homework and so basically buying chinese food buys me a precious hour of family time mm. and i'm like absolutely for jeff he's like if we keep doing this we're gonna be homeless in retirement and so it's just it is a it is a premise that we often miss mm. that there is this thing that's going on underneath the surface. Mm. That's so good. I, I love that question because I've spent my career in finance and a lot of it is getting to that realization point of people come at money from different directions. And if we can get mm. people to talk about what they value and help them understand each side of that, we can often come up with better outcomes, better yep. results in our marriage, all of those types of things. And yeah, just, just really value that information. Because one of the hardest things and, and one of the other factors is these kind of knee-jerk reactions mm. that we have toward our our spouses, uh, their behaviors around money, and what we found that you know there's some that are you know I have a martyr complex around it, or I have a well if you're not going to do it then I'll do it, or and there's a big one that's a huge red flag which is resentment. Mm. If I begin to feel resentment, you tend to have a lot of these other uh, troublesome factors happening in your marriage and that resentment around money you know and that resentment of how they're spending or not spending you know can be a really it's, it's dangerous a it's, it's a canary in a coal yes. mine kind of mm -hmm. it's like a red warning light like you need to look closer we just found this statistically yeah if sure. you have resentment you're more likely to quickly go into other things mm -hmm. so cap it and, and but okay can i go back mm -hmm. to this oh, what do course. we do about this values difference yep. yeah is that okay? Because I don't want to leave people going as a oh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> because because truly, I mean, I know that we're getting tight on time, but I, this to me, the what do you do about this, is so hopeful and helpful for people in real life situations like this. And and I'll actually give you one from our life if you're okay with that. Yep, you Jeff. gotcha. Yeah. So it was interesting when the pandemic shut everything down. Um, you know, this, it was pretty devastating for somebody like us, where a huge portion of our income and how we pay the salaries of our staff, it, a lot of that comes from public speaking. In-person events. In-person events. Well, guess what went away <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic? And where, stayed away for stayed a long time. And stayed away for quite some time. And, and so suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, this is like a really big deal. And we had been the couple that before we started this project we had a hard time talking about money mm. we just kind of avoided it we worked around it we coped around it and this was like when we realized we were supposed to do this project it was like oh dear we're gonna have to talk about it <laughs> so he came to me you know practicing this of let's try to dig out what's you know if it's mm -hmm. not about money what is it about mm -hmm. and um and jeff came to me to his credit and he said you know i need to tell you remember how we found that resentment was a, was a canary in the coal mine like i'm dealing with a little bit of resentment mm. because if we hadn't gone to disney world last year with the kids you know if we hadn't gone out to eat those times last year or gone bowling like we'd have thousands more dollars in our bank account right now that mm. we could really use yeah. while we're in this sort of financial emergency and then but he kept thinking about it. And then he said, a, a couple of days later, just yeah. so that <laughs> the normal guy out there, going, 
wow, this guy is so, no. <laughs> he's got it. He's in touch with his feelings. A couple days later. A couple later, days later, he came back. He said, you know, that's not really fair. I realized because when we were going to Disney World with the kids, and when we were going out to eat or going to the movies or whatever it was, you were investing in our family and our togetherness. Mm. You were building memories. You were building relationship. And now we're stuck in quarantine on top of each other and we like each other. And he said, I always thought about spending money as just a net cost. That's it. Just net cost out the door as opposed to you see it as an investment. Mm. There's a benefit that comes from it that you're going for. And he said, you know, I, I still, he said, I still sort of think of things differently. Like I would have done a free picnic in the park rather than going to a restaurant. Um, and, but he said, I see what you were doing. And that is the key, no matter what your spouse's thing is that they value if you show them that even if I disagree but I'm gonna understand and honor what it is that you value and why it matters to you what happens is actually what happened with me because anytime he wanted to talk about money my defenses were way up I would get my back up I wouldn't want to talk about it but because he approached it in that way of I see why you did and I and I I value that. I honor that. Um, it all the defense is lowered, yeah. and it made it much more easy for me then to go his direction and what he valued, which is okay. Let's talk about the austerity plan for the <laughs> next year. <laughs> and uh, but that's that's an example of again. It's a simple example, but that's the key. Find what the other person values and show them that you're trying to understand and honor it, even if you disagree. That's great. Well, in talking about valuing time and you know, how money <laughs> can deal with that and stuff, we recognize your time and, and know it's valuable. So last question, as researchers, authors, and I'm sure readers yourselves, what are some of your favorite resources or, or books on marriage? Oh, um... Okay, should we be honest? Yeah. Are we going to be honest? Or are yeah, we going to yeah. give them the, the sweet Christian Let, let's answer? Let's be honest. <laughs> okay, so the honest answer is, is that we can't read books on marriage hmm. because it changes how we view our own research. Ooh. Because all, everything we do is based on primary research. And so if I read what somebody else has written about, you know, here's what we need to know about such and such, it will kind of change how I hear and see what other people are telling me. Hmm. No, and I want to hear it straight from other people. Yeah. Like that's the, the point behind primary research. So and we love fiction. So we, <laughs> we, we read lots of fiction stuff that you know nothing wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, it's fine. That's awesome. So. Good answer. Well, we thank you guys so much for being here today. It's been awesome to talk to you and learn more. And yeah, we really appreciate it. I Thanks appreciate so much, Andrew. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today. Drop us a line on social media and let us know your thoughts. Be sure to join us next week as we continue our 10-minute talk series and hash out our thoughts about today's conversation. And remember, it was never yours to begin with.